Welcome to The Light Within, a podcast for anyone seeking to rewrite their life, live in their light, and align with their soul's highest purpose. I'm Leslie Draffin. I'm a journalist and menstrual cycle coach, and I'm obsessed with all things spirituality, sexuality, wellness, empowerment, and mysticism. Join me as I interview coaches, teachers, healers, and thought leaders from all around the globe about all the ways we can feel more tuned in, turned on, and lit up AF. If you're on a journey toward self-discovery, you've come to the right place. This is The Light Within. Hello, beautiful beings, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Light Within. I am so freaking excited to have Kelly Moser on the show this week. She is an alignment coach, and she's someone I've been following on Instagram for several months. I just love how she talks about anxiety and spirituality and how they blend so perfectly together. And that is the topic, of course, of today's episode. In this episode, we talk about how anxiety has impacted Kelly's life. We talk about how we can be anxious and spiritual at the same time. She gives us some amazing insight on overcoming anxious thoughts and getting over feelings of stuckness. She also has epic tips for getting into alignment when you do feel stuck. And we also talk a bit about imposter syndrome, and she has this excellent, amazing fucking so cool way of just shifting your mindset around imposter syndrome that I think is going to make a huge difference for you if you do feel like you're someone who sometimes suffers from that. Kelly is just such a light. This conversation was so fun. I felt like I was writing down little notes here and there the whole time, these tidbits of excellent wisdom that she just was spilling out throughout this chat. So I know you're going to love it and I cannot wait for you to listen. So here's a little more about Kelly. Kelly Moser coaches high-achieving, sensitive women on their aligned success journeys by incorporating spirituality, neuroscience, and sexy strategy to help them create unfuckwithable businesses, lives, and nervous systems with ease and joy. A former director of strategy and operations for a high-growth startup with a serious woo side, Kelly's mission is to help you move confidently and intuitively toward your unique, holistic definition of success in a way that's magical, practical, and nervous system approved. She lives in New York City with her partner and rescue pup. So please join me in welcoming this badass babe, Kelly Moser, to the light within. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. It's such an honor to be here. I have been following you on Instagram for a while now, so I am very psyched to have you on the pod. Um, First things first, though, I'd love to know what ignites your light within. Ooh, I love this question. What ignites my light within? Helping women remember how powerful they are. Helping women remember their true essence as divine beings who are here to experience deep peace and deep power within every experience that they have, even if the world around them feels chaotic, even if their internal mental chatter feels chaotic, it really helps. It really lights me up to help people learn new ways of doing and being in the world that feels better to them and to watch the amazing results that come when a woman especially is really authentically aligned and really aware and tapped into her power and really honoring her truth in her work and her relationships in how she takes care of herself. And when she feels fully open and receptive to life and when she feels safe, the magic that happens there. So that's what lights me up. 
Oh, I love that. That was beautiful. Um, and so I think that's so clear and evident in the work that you do. But for people who don't know your work or know who you are, can you introduce yourself and explain what you are birthing or bringing into the world? Yeah, absolutely. So I call myself an alignment coach, which is really just a fancy way to say that I help people, primarily women, figure out how to live lives that feel good to them, how to create lives that they most love to live in from the businesses and the careers that they build to the way they heal and the way they manifest their goals. My goal in my work is to help you live as frictionlessly as possible so that you take ownership over your internal resistance and clear your energetic channels to make it easier to create and receive and enjoy your life because when we're aligned, we are so unstoppable and there's truly nothing that we can't do. So that is what I'm birthing in the world and what I'm the most passionate about in my work. Mm, I love it. You also talk a bunch about anxiety and that's kind of, I think, how I initially found your Instagram because I'm somebody who experiences anxiety as well. So I'd love to hear you know, what types of ways anxiety has impacted your life and how you see it impacting the people you work with. Oh my gosh. Anxiety was a major pillar in my life from my very first sort of conscious memories up until just about my 21st birthday. So my family endured a really horrific trauma when I was a baby. So even though I have no conscious memory of that event, my nervous system absolutely does. And so for my entire childhood, I had no idea that I was living with a brain that was deeply affected by PTSD, which was something that I wasn't officially diagnosed with clinically until I was about 21. Mm. And people ask me, how could you not know that you had PTSD, right? And my answer is my symptoms were so normal to me. I don't know if you've ever experienced like... It's when it's when something is all you know, you don't realize that it's any different from what anybody else experiences. So Mm -hmm. I thought that's just how everyone lived. I had no memory of ever living a different way. So that constant experience of PTSD, which I didn't recognize that I had for me, manifested as chronic anxiety, never really feeling safe, um, catastrophic thinking intrusive thinking, feeling like I was constantly running from something. And it was, it, I, it was really just that my nervous system was so overtaxed and I had no ability to regulate anymore. So that's the brain I grew up with. And I had no idea that it was different or even, you know, suboptimal. I just had no idea that that's the programming that I was running on. Um, And it really exacerbated when I was under stress throughout my life. So when I moved to New York City in my early 20s and I started working in a stressful corporate job that I felt really creatively stifled by, my symptoms got really bad. And that's when I said, okay, I really need to get some professional help. Mm. And, you know, I shared my symptoms with my therapist and I never even thought to mention that trauma from my childhood because it felt so far removed. I felt I, I thought there's no way that that's still affecting me. So I didn't mention it to her for months. And then one day I was like, you know, I really feel like I should tell you about this thing that happened to me when I was younger. And she said, Kelly, you have textbook PTSD. <sighs> and that was shocking to me, but it was also such a relief mm-hmm. to have that understanding and an explanation for why my brain works the way that it works. So The second part of your question, which I really appreciate is how do I see anxiety impact the people that I work with? So many ways. Anxiety is such a sneaky little bitch, excuse my language. It can manifest in so many different ways. So 
I work with a lot of really high achieving women. And I find that most high achieving women experience some degree of anxiety. I see you nodding. So oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm sensing that that's something that you've um, picked up on too throughout your life. And now I'm not a licensed mental health professional, so I'm not diagnosing anybody in my coaching practice, but I see it manifest a lot in women who have a lot of unresolved healing work to do, but don't know how to go about dealing with it. So they just keep adding things to their lives, to their plates, right? As a sort of distraction from what they know is going to be uncomfortable to sit with when they do eventually sit down to deal with it. Um, and so a lot of the anxiety comes from the piling on of the extra things and the extra responsibilities. And we violate our own boundaries a lot, all in service of not sitting down and dealing with the shit that we have to deal with. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, it's me. It's me. Oh, fuck. It's all of us, you know? And, and I also work with a ton of highly sensitive people, empathic people who experience emotions and energies in a totally unique way. Sometimes energies that don't even belong to them. And that's a whole nother beast. And I'm, I'm that way too. I, I have very high degrees of sensitivity. So a lot of people that I work with mirror that back to me. And it's just, it's so fascinating how anxiety becomes this sort of default programming when there's other stuff that we're not aware of or other stuff that we haven't actually sat down to deal with. Mm. Mm -hmm. I was talking to somebody last season on the podcast and we were talking about anxiety. Um, and I remember when I was going through my divorce and my therapist, then she used to talk to me about like where we felt, felt it in the body. So do you talk about that with your clients? I mean, when you talk about like where it might be stored in our bodies? Yeah. So I talk a lot with my clients about helping. I, I try to help them explain and express what it feels like to them. Does it feel tight? Does it feel um, like a like a pitter patter? Does it feel like it's stretching you? Does it feel like the floor is falling out from underneath you? Because our energy is constantly communicate, communicating to us mm -hmm. in really subtle ways. And if you, something else that I have my clients do is actually imagine pulling the anxiety out of you and addressing it and having a conversation with it. Because the reason the anxiety is still living within us is because it has a message for us. There's some unresolved conversation that it hasn't fully expressed or ha doesn't feel like it's resolved with us. So if we can actually pull it out and say, okay, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling a tightness in my chest. Let's pull that out. Imagine that energy as an embodied being and have a conversation with it. What does it have to say to us? There's really interesting things that come up when we talk about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That sounds like that could be so helpful for sure. So let's talk about being anxious and spiritual at the same time, because I love this, this discussion that you have out there. It feels to me like so many spiritual practices could create more anxiety. Like for me, it's the whole trusting the universe when honestly, like the bitch I trust the most is myself. Like yeah. if I got to get some shit done. It's me. Like don't, don't tell me to try to trust the universe or even manifestation, you know, even meditation, like trying to get quiet when you're like having the constant running of the hamster wheel in your brain of all the things you should be doing. So how can we be anxious and spiritual? Oh my gosh, this is such an amazing question. And I love that you asked me this because for me, spirituality and anxiety are so deeply connected. The whole reason I started exploring my spirituality was because of anxiety, because I was living in just such a constant bubble of fear and anxiety. And I, I was like, there has to be more than this limited experience that I'm having in my brain. And so 
I got really into meditation when I was at my lowest point on my anxiety journey. I just really felt so intuitively called to try it. I was like, there's something here that's going to support me. I don't know what it is. And it, it was so uncomfortable. My first three months of meditation were some of the most painful months of my life because I was finally sitting with mm-hmm. the stuff that was in there that was uncomfortable. Um, and when I started that practice, I realized for the first time, I'm not my mind. I'm not my anxious thoughts. Up until that moment, I had thought that I was. Mm -hmm. I thought that's all there was to me, was this endless pain in the ass, chattering away brain that I had, which you know, in meditation, a lot of especially Buddhist practitioners call the monkey mind. I thought it was my monkey mind. I didn't realize there was more to me. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm sitting there meditating to keep me sane, I remember this moment thinking, okay, it's become clear to me in the last few months that I'm not my mind. I'm not my thoughts. So what the hell am I? <laughs> what am I? What's, what is this thing? It was so clear to me that there was something present when I was watching my mind do its gymnastics that was just me watching. There was part of me that was just observing. There was part of me that actually wasn't bothered by the thoughts that I was thinking at all. There was part of me that was so deeply compassionate looking at what was happening in my head. And that's that to me is where spirituality started coming into it because I realized I'm so much bigger than the process of thinking. And that's all I ever thought that I was. So I think a lot of people also hear the word spiritual and think of, they start to think about these qualities that kind of imply that we're trying to transcend the human experience. Like we're leaving behind the stress of the world. And to me, spirituality is more about embracing the wholeness of being human with a sense of compassion and higher awareness and grace. So for me, it's not about never being anxious again. It's, it's about wrapping every single thought and emotion that I have, no matter how painful, no matter how uncomfortable, wrapping those thoughts and emotions and experiences in my arms and saying, I'm still okay. It, this, I'm still okay here. There's nothing that can happen in my inner world. There's no measure of anxiety. There's no level of fear that will make me not okay because I'm rooted to my soul, to my truth. Mm. And that I think, you know, my trauma work was some of the most painful, uncomfortable work that I've ever done. But it was my spiritual awareness that reminded me, I'm still okay. I'm still safe. I'm still extremely powerful. I'm so much more than this singular temporary experience that I'm having. And I don't need to pull away from it. I think that's the beauty that that's the gift of spirituality is, is I don't need to pull away when I feel anxious. I don't need to, to numb when I feel anxious. I'm built to handle this. I'm, I'm safe. Oh my God. That's beautiful. Oh, the wholeness of being human. That was perfect. Um, well then I'd love to also talk about the whole idea. Like a lot of spiritual people in, in the spiritual community, we talk a lot about our thoughts, create our reality. <laughs> So I know you like, you wouldn't sell those beautiful things. I'm like, but let's go back to this one thing, right? Like if my thoughts are anxious as fuck, then is my reality also going to be just like all over the place? Oh my gosh. This is my favorite question. This is my favorite question in spirituality, because I think that this notion that our thoughts create our reality is really narrow-minded. And I think it erases a ton of people's experiences. And I don't think Mm. it's true. I think that a thought that isn't backed by a strong belief, isn't backed by a strong commitment to action, 
it's just, okay, this sounds ridiculous, but it's just a mental fart. It's just your brain farting. It's just an expression of the state of your nervous system. A thought in and of itself doesn't mean anything. Our thoughts are inherently neutral. Our power as humans is not in choosing every single thought and emotion that we have. That's impossible. So much of our cognition is automatic. There's, it's, it's so much of it is beyond our control. Our power as humans is deciding which thoughts and emotions we allow to mean something. That's the beauty of being human. That's the power of co-creation is deciding this thought means nothing to me. I don't have to listen to it. And this thought, actually, I am going to put my energy into and invest in. Um, And as someone who struggled with anxiety and PTSD, a lot of my thoughts over the years have been awfully uncomfortable terrible. I would never want that to manifest into my reality. And looking back, none of them ever did. Like none of the thoughts, the catastrophic things that I was worried about, none of them ever manifested. And looking back, it's because I didn't believe, I didn't really believe that they were true. I didn't put any concerted effort into making them true. I let them just be thoughts. And in fact, it wasn't until I really divested a lot of my energy from Put from I wasn't really until I I said you know what I'm actually going to put less stock into my thoughts and more stock into my beliefs about myself and about the world and more stock in my healing and healing my nervous system thinking about the state of my nervous system as a whole rather than fixating on singular thoughts and obsessing and trying to fix my thoughts and make them more positive and less anxious it wasn't until I said I'm going to stop spending my energy there entirely. And I'm going to focus instead on my healing and focus on healing my nervous system, healing my trauma, embracing the wholeness of my human experience. That's when I healed, Mm. right? It was, if I'm constantly worried about fixing my thoughts, which is what I tried to do for such a long time, because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. If I'm constantly worried about fixing my thoughts, all that does is create resistance within me right? Because now I'm having an experience of being at odds with my reality. Instead of saying, these are the thoughts that I'm having. It's okay. I was playing out this dynamic of this is the, these are the thoughts that I'm having and I don't like it and I need to fix it and it needs to be different. Mm -hmm. And that was a recipe for compounded resistance that just generated more and more anxiety and more unease within me. So for me, it was really all about embracing every thought every emotion and saying, this is allowed, this is okay. And I think that's a part of the spiritual kind of conversation and process that a lot of people miss because they don't have that experience of debilitating anxiety and intrusive thoughts. Um, And being able to say like, this is all part of my experience. I don't have to enjoy every single second of it, but this is my reality. I can simply allow for it to be. I can decide that it's neither good nor bad. It's just what my brain is doing right now. And that's how I healed by saying all of this is welcome. I don't have to constantly be policing my thoughts because that is a losing battle. My thoughts are going to, my brain's going to think that's what my brain's going to do. Instead of fixating on individual thoughts and fixing and changing, how can I focus on healing my nervous system, on healing the traumas so that my brain naturally thinks more positively? 
Mm-hmm. And I love that you talk so much about the brain. You had a post recently that I loved, and it was basically saying that um, our brains and our souls want vastly different things. You said that the soul wants joy, but the brain wants safety. So how do we get them to work together? Oh, such a good question. Thank you so much for asking this. So the soul and the brain. Okay. So within us, we have a lot of different stakeholders, right? We have the soul who is kind of the highest expression of our truth. It's our highest divine expression. And it is always oriented towards joy and peace. And what is going to make me feel the most aligned and at peace and satisfied in my life, everything good and light your soul cares about our brains, which is specific to, you know, the human experience, the, the, the animalistic experience of being on earth. Not every being in the universe has a brain, but humans do. And our brains are the most complex object in the entire known universe. And they're not wired for joy and peace. They're wired for survival. Our brain's primary objective is to keep us alive and to keep us safe. And a lot of people end up feeling very stuck because they'll say, I really want to move to France and start a soap making business. That's what my soul really, really wants. But I'm so scared, right? I'm so terrified of doing that. Um, It's unfamiliar. It feels uncomfortable. It feels unsafe. If you've ever experienced something like that, maybe not to the extreme of moving to France and starting soap making business, maybe, but if you've ever experienced a dynamic like that within yourself, you are experiencing a classic case of soul versus brain. Soul saying, hey, we have to prioritize our joy and our brain saying, uh, are you crazy? We have to stay safe. Like we are going to, we're basically going to die if we, if we do anything that is, um, unfamiliar, if we go into any territory that we've never been to before, your brain recognizes that as a major red flag and will do everything in its power to prevent you from going there. So getting the soul and the brain to work together is exactly the same as resolving conflict in any relationship, right? Understanding both parties' motivations, understanding what it is they truly want and how they're wired. Because when we understand what people want, we can come to a point of collaboration when we really understand, okay, I recognize that what you want, what your priorities are, are different from mine, but I recognize that yours are valid. And for you to take any action, you're going to have to feel like your priorities are being met and that you're being heard. So we have to do that exact same thing with these two stakeholders within us that are just wired differently. So making them work together, in my opinion, is about finding ways to make the brain feel more safe. It's really as simple as making the brain feel more safe. It's not about telling the brain to shut up and go away because our brain has totally valid concerns for us to listen to, recognizing right that our brain is not here to make our lives miserable, but to keep us safe. That gives us the opportunity to extend some grace and some compassion and even just feel grateful to the brain. Like, it's trying to keep me alive. That's really cool. Thanks. I appreciate that. So for me, the question isn't how do I choose between my soul and my brain? It's how do I recognize what my brain is trying to keep me safe from Mm -hmm. and how do I make it feel more safe? The brain likes what it knows. So making something more familiar is so helpful. The brain likes predictability. So as much as you can map out every step of what's going to happen for your brain so that it feels like there's some structure in place, Mm -hmm. that's going to help. 
And the brain loves security. So as much as you can reassure your brain that you have security measures in place, if plan A doesn't work out, the more quickly your brain is going to come around and say, you know what? Okay, this feels not as threatening anymore. Thank you for talking me through your plan here because I was feeling really unsafe. The brain needs to be heard and acknowledged. Otherwise, it's going to be our biggest liability at every step, at every turn. It is going to find ways to make us self-sabotage all because it doesn't feel safe. So all we have to do is help make our brain feel safe. Mm. And that's going to really facilitate that collaboration between brain and soul. I feel like that's me right now, honestly. And I bet it's a ton of other people. You know, we've heard this term recently, the great resignation. Like so many people are saying F this, like I'm I'm over whatever corporate job I've been doing. The pandemic has kind of shined this light on the fact that like, if you're not doing shit that matters, like what are you doing? And life's too short. So I feel like there's probably a ton of people out there who might be experiencing this exact same dichotomy between like, oh, but I really need to like be living my joy. But wait, my brain thinks that if I can't do this, 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 and this, I'm not going to get paid. I'm not going to have a place to live. I'm not going to have food to eat, shit like that. Yep, absolutely. And I think a really helpful strategy in situations like that is finding a middle ground because our soul wants us to say, F my job. I'm never coming back. I'm moving to the forest and I'm just going to forage mushrooms for a living. And your brain's like, are you insane? And so starting to help them bridge a middle gap where maybe it's, I am going to stick out this job for a year and I am going to spiritually resign. I'm going to mentally resign. I'm going to emotionally resign, but I know that I need to keep myself safe. And I know that I need to pay my bills and feed myself. I think there's a lot of misguided advice out there that just says, just quit. You'll Mm -hmm. figure it out. And I think that sends our nervous systems into a complete tailspin and it's not healthy. We need those systems of structure and security in place in order for us to feel like we're thriving. Mm -hmm. So there's no shame in saying, you know what, I'm going to stick it out for a year and start building, you know, my side hustle, or I'm going to get a job, you know, in the service industry while I build something that is a creative project that I care about a lot. There's no shame in that. And I think that the strength and the foresight to say, I know that I need to support my nervous system through any change I'm going to make. I'm going to make it as feel as safe for myself as possible. I think that's a really beautiful quality for us to kind of adopt instead of the old, just quit, just move. It's, you know, this is your one life. Yeah, but it's also my one nervous system. I have to take care of my brain. I have to make myself feel safe. First of all, I'm like, damn, does our soul want the same thing? Because I also want to say F this job and move to the woods. <laughs> ah, my like my like preferred, what is that saying? Like, dress for the job you want. I'm just dressing like a witch these days because yeah. like, I want to live in a muumuu, like doing <laughs> shit with the forest animals. Um, I love it. So I, love it I also love that you were saying like you can energetically check out of a job while you still hold down that job. Because I feel like that's also me right now. And it's tough because at times, though, that also creates this feeling for me in particular of like stuckness or just dis-ease because you're just so vastly unaligned with the two phases of yourself. So do you have any advice for people that are out there saying, you know what, I got to put in another year or two because I got to maybe grow the nest egg so I feel more safe. But like going into that job is soul crushing. Yeah. If it is soul crushing, then it's not somewhere that you need to put yourself. You you don't need to put yourself into that environment. I think there's, everyone is different. Everyone has varying levels of 
first of all, abuse at their job or abuse at work. And if you are experiencing any level of abuse anywhere, don't put up with that. That is not something that you need to subject yourself to, period. If it's more along the lines of, oh, I really don't love what I'm doing, but I feel really fulfilled by the bank account that it allows me to, you know, walk home with at the end of the week. That's different. That might be a situation where you do put your head down and say, okay, I'm giving it a year. I'm going to divest a lot of my energy and reallocate that into other things that I care about. But I've quit two jobs in my life where I was like, I cannot come in tomorrow. My soul is sucked dry. I feel abused here. I feel unwell. I feel unsafe. And I was just like, you know what? That This is not my preferred method of going about things. I like to have my ducks in a row. I like to know where I'm going next. But twice in my life, I haven't had that many jobs. And two of them, I was like, I'm not coming back here tomorrow. And it turned out fine. But that's not, you know, the... I don't go around peddling that advice because I don't think it's always necessary. But for me, it totally was. And I wish that someone had told me, you are clearly unwell Mm -hmm. here. You do not need to come in tomorrow. You will figure it out. If you have to get a job shoveling horse poop at Central Park, you will figure it out. And that's the level of sort of desperation that I was at at that time. And I would have taken a job shoveling horse poop at Central Park. I would have enjoyed that. I would have been been around animals. That would have been really fun. Um, Would have been a lot more fun than what I was doing. But I think knowing yourself, giving yourself permission to do what you need to do and trusting that I will figure it out. You know, I will figure this out. And maybe that's not the perfect advice all of the time because it is nice to have your ducks in a row and and know that you're setting yourself up for a really secure, you know, future. But there are points in time when you just can't take anymore and give yourself permission to, to say, fuck it. If I can't do this anymore, I don't have to. I will figure it out. Trusting yourself enough to say, I'm going to make this work because my well-being is really the most important thing. Mm, All right. So, all right, let's talk a little bit more about feeling stuck. Um, So how kind of can we, you know, use some spiritual practices to kind of get unstuck? I mean, I'm sure you work with a lot of people who come to you feeling like just stuck. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I've got two really powerful questions for you to come back to again and again when you feel stuck. So, I think that when we feel stuck, it's because there is a disconnect between our soul and our brain, which creates the tension between action and surrender, right? When we're stuck, it's because part of us wants to move and part of us doesn't. It creates this kind of resistant inaction, meaning we're not completely calmly resting and we're not confidently moving forward. And that feels really frustrating to us. So if you're feeling stuck right now, there are two questions that I want you to take away to journal about or meditate on. And here they are. So question number one is, and it's very specific, but what do I really want? But what do I really want? Not just what do I want? The question is, but what do I really want? And then question number two is, why is my brain telling me that that's not safe? Mm. So the question, but what do I really want is really a deeper question than just what do I want? Because usually our quest, our answer to the question, what do I want is loaded with conditioning and programming and is usually really only half the story. Mm-hmm. But if we keep asking ourselves, but what do I really want? Eventually we're going to peel away enough layers where we end up somewhere that feels a tiny bit rebellious. And when you end up there, you know that you're getting to the truth of what it is that you truly want. Because what I, what do I want will lead you down usually a path of kind of just following the status quo. But if you keep asking and you don't give up asking, but what do I really want? 
you will end up in a place that feels a little uncomfortable, feels a little rebellious, and that's good. Then you know you're getting somewhere. And when you get there, then you engage that second question, and why is my brain telling me this isn't safe? Um, and that is a really powerful, just, just those two questions alone can help you get unstuck because usually what's happening when we're not allowing ourselves to see the full truth of what we want, it's because we're afraid of seeing it. We're afraid that it's going to be too disruptive. We're afraid that people are going to judge us for that choice that we you know, want to make. We're afraid that it's not going to be able to support us, mm-hmm. but we have to at least be able to see the thing that we really want. You can always decide, okay, I'm acknowledging that this is the thing that I really want. I'm not going to act on it yet, but you can't ever act on it if you don't let yourself see it. So just continue asking if there were something more aligned for me to imagine, if there were something even more juicy and delicious that I could want, what would that be? Mm -hmm. Assume that you don't have the full picture when you ask, what do I want? Assume that it's going to take a little bit more digging. Um, because usually we don't give ourselves permission to see what it is we truly want because our brain is already saying this doesn't feel safe. You don't even have to tell me. I I know it's not going to be safe. Let's not even talk about it. Oh my goodness. And so are those kind of the practices that you use for yourself to get in alignment when you feel stuck? Do you have other practices? Yeah, absolutely. When I feel out of alignment, I know that there's something that I'm not acknowledging. I know that there is something that I either haven't allowed myself to see, I haven't admitted something to myself, or I'm trying to force something that used to be aligned for me that isn't anymore. Mm -hmm. And if I just keep asking that question, but what do I really want? Why doesn't this feel good for me right now? And be really open and willing to receive the truth. Sometimes the truth is going to take a lot of work, right? It's going to, it's saying, you know what, this offer or this program that I rolled out a year ago doesn't feel aligned anymore. My brain is telling me not to look at that because it doesn't want to do the work of figuring out what I, where I go next. Mm -hmm. But if we keep pushing things that aren't aligned, eventually we're going to have to look at them. So just be willing, just be willing to, to say, you know what, I'm willing to see where I'm, be, where I'm acting out of alignment, which is really out of integrity with who I'm supposed to be and who I know I'm meant to be. Mm. So let's shift and talk a bit about um, imposter syndrome, which gives me hella anxiety. I have started a new coaching business of my own as a menstrual cycle coach and now I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, okay, I know this and the imposter syndrome isn't creeping up as much. But two to three months ago when I was still in the training, I was like, what the fuck am I thinking? Like, no, like this is not like you're a, you're a freaking news anchor. Like this isn't like you. So what kind of work do you suggest for folks around imposter syndrome? Or I guess what even is it to you? Like what's your definition of imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think it's so interesting that we pathologize this experience of being uncomfortable because it doesn't have to be. I, I honestly think if we were willing to see imposter syndrome in a slightly different way, it can be a really good thing. It can be a sign that we're expanding. I don't think it's something that we necessarily need to fix. I think it's an energy that we need to start embracing because all imposter syndrome does is say, hey, you're somewhere new. This is unfamiliar. You have to start showing up as a version of yourself that you've never been before. And of course, that's uncomfortable. Of course, nervous system is going to start red flagging that because it's new. We could honestly, we could rename imposter syndrome expansion mode and just leave it at that and call it that and let it not be a thing that we have to fix. But our brains feel, of course, threatened by the unfamiliar. So we pathologize it as a syndrome. We call it a syndrome. This experience of feeling like someone new or feeling like we're in a new situation that we're not 
confident in yet, of course, that's a red flag to your nervous system has to be fixed, right? But it's just a sign that you've expanded, that you are now being asked to show up as somebody that you've never had to be before. So I'd love for us to start calling it expansion mode. (laughs) Done. (laughs) There you go. And I would also invite you to, so our lived experience is the best bank of evidence that we can, that we can tap into. So I'd love for you to revisit when is a time when I started something new that felt uncomfortable and I had no idea what the hell I was doing, but how long did it take me to figure it out? And how that, then how natural did it become? How second nature it always does. And if it doesn't, then maybe it wasn't the right thing for you in the first place. But instead of rushing through the part where you feel uncomfortable the challenge is really how can I hold myself through that period of discomfort, knowing that it's so normal and knowing that it's just a symptom of growth. Mm-hmm. I think the real challenge of imposter syndrome is how do I enjoy this moment and embrace it and trust that it's going to pass and I'm going to grow and I'm going to get more familiar and more comfortable with what I'm doing and just trust that it just means that I'm somewhere that I've never been before. I'm just getting oriented here. Just like when you go to a new country and you're like looking around and you don't understand the language that all the street signs are written in. It's the same thing. You figure it out. You find your way. And also remember that imposter syndrome is just a sign that you care. High achievers are more likely to experience imposter syndrome because they care so much. Mm-hmm. And if you care that much, you're not going to let yourself fail. Just remember, okay, the reason I'm feeling imposter syndrome is because I give a shit. And if I give this many shits, I'm not going to let myself fail. And it's like, I have myself. I I have my own security blanket, right? The thing that makes me anxious is also the thing that ensures that I'm not going to fail. Mm. Okay, perfect. Great. I'm just like, let me just get this embroidered in like a thing above my bed now, (laughs) like all these tips. So I'd love to know, because we've kind of hinted around some of the things that I know you probably do for your spiritual practices. Um, like you were talking about meditation, but what's kind of your spiritual routine or what's in your spiritual toolbox? Mm, I love this question. I am a huge meditator. Meditation completely changed my life. I think there's a lot of misconception around the purpose of meditation. And when I really started to tap into the true essence of what meditation is and what it's meant to do, which is just to help us welcome everything, help us hold the space for everything. It's not about getting quiet all the time. It's not about being able to bring yourself to a place of zero internal, you know, mental chatter. Um, That changed my life. So meditation has been a huge, huge component of not only what I utilize my own personal practice, but how I support others. Self-coaching is my favorite tool because ultimately you can hire all the healers you want. You can outsource, you know, any kind of energetic modality, healing modality, but ultimately you're the one that has to do the healing. And there are really simple ways for you to connect with what it is that you need to heal and work through it. Um, So I teach people how to self-coach. I think that's a really powerful, really practical tool Mm -hmm. as well, um, because you're your own best healer. Nobody else has the answers but you. So being able to guide yourself to those places of breakthrough on your own, Um, is really powerful. So for me, it's, and and then I also love modalities like EFT tapping. I find that incredible for anxious moments and for rewiring, you know, shitty kind of old belief systems and patterns that don't work for me anymore. Um, And journaling. I'm a huge journaler and I keep it simple. You know, my spiritual practice is not the most elaborate, Mm -hmm. but it's so simple and it's potent and it works for me. Mm -hmm. Um, 
yeah, so that's what that's what I turn to in my moments of feeling stuck or confused or reverting to old habits and patterns. Those are my that's my tool belt. All right, so let's talk about how people can work with you because I know you've got a group mentorship program or a membership. Let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a beautiful membership that is open to spiritual seekers on any at any point on their journey. And we cover everything. I call it a spiritual smorgasbord. So if you're like, I want to get more curious about my spirituality, but I don't know where to start, we cover everything. We do meditation. We've got journaling. Every month we have um, industry experts come in, healers, coaches, teachers, and teach us about what they do. And the, the whole point is really for you to sample. Okay, I'm really interested in astrology or I'm really interested in human design. I know now that I have, you know, that's my first little breadcrumb to pick up and now I can follow it. So that's a very sort of holistic, very broad, um, we go breadth versus depth in the membership, but it's a sampler of anything spiritual that you could ever possibly want. It's like Disneyland for spiritual people. And then I also guide people through, you know, more intensive one-on-one work over the course of three months or six months. Um, I support people who have businesses not as much about growing your business, but about growing yourself to lead a business um, and to feel like you can create a business that is really beautifully aligned with you energetically and is nervous system approved. So kind of teaching you the, the, the essentials and the basics for how to run a business in a spiritual way. And then for people who have goals that they want to manifest, I'm a huge goal. I'm obsessed with helping people achieve their goals. So I have a lot of different containers that are always sort of opening and then closing and opening and closing, but, um, the membership is always open and yeah, I would love to just have a conversation with anyone who's listening who might want extra support and we can figure out the perfect container for us to work together. I love it. And where can people find you online? Yeah. So on Instagram, I live mostly on Instagram at K E L L Y dot M O S S E R M as in Mary two S's as in Sam Kelly dot Moser is me on Instagram. I love it. Kelly, anything else you want to add that we didn't touch on today? No, you asked the most beautiful questions. Thank you so much for the thought provoking conversation. It was such an honor to connect with you, Leslie. Oh yeah. I love this. This was chock full of goodness. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, seriously, I fucking loved that chat. Now I have to tell you, after I recorded this episode with her, I went and joined her membership, Tiger's Eye. Y'all, there is so much amazing shit in there. I mean, meditation after meditation, she's got hypnosis. She has epic masterclasses that I cannot wait to dive into. So make sure you check that out. If you're someone who feels a little woo and you need a little inspiration, it is just absolutely perfect. I'll also put links to her Instagram below. You can connect with me on Instagram and let me know what you think about the new changes over on my Instagram at Leslie Draffin because it is becoming all things menstrual cycle awareness over there and I am just fucking overjoyed. The best way for you to support this podcast is to rate it, review it, share it with somebody that you love, Chat with me on social media so I can know where you are in this beautiful world of ours. If you have a question, comment, or if you think somebody you know might be an excellent guest on the podcast, send me an email at thelightwithinpodcast at gmail.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Have yourself a great week. And remember, there's no light without darkness, but there's no darkness without light. I'll see you next time.